We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Hey, Sands fan. Here, Ricky Rubio has signed a contract. Really excited to join the team and uh, see you all guys next year. Uh, can't wait to get started. Hey, Sands fan. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike Hill. I'm the host here, and of course with me, the co-host of this podcast, Sam Cooper. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Mike. I'm still settling in. Uh, summer League, though, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of... Yeah. Summer League peaked? <laughs> yeah, I think it did. I think it did. Especially, it, it did in the earthquake. Like, once the earthquake happened, <laughs> that was the the peak of Summer League because then Zion wasn't playing. And, I mean, this year, it's a really difficult Summer League. I, I think um, the NBA kind of screwed up for a couple of reasons. They put Summer League too early, and that means that players can't play if they were traded. And uh, uh, there's a lot of players just not playing because of that reason alone. And I think um, the other part is they haven't been with the team for long anyway, so a lot of these guys aren't playing even if they weren't traded. They just don't want to embarrass them on ESPN. Now that every single game is actually watched like it's a regular season game, uh, a lot of organizations are not really risking putting their players out there to either get injured, which I don't think that's what they're doing, or just get embarrassed. And I think it's more likely that they don't want them to get embarrassed. Yeah, I, I think so too. The negative media spin would be really bad for some of these guys just look how uh some people are tearing apart rj barrett already which i think is funny <laughs> um but also yeah. not entirely fair to the kid we're going to talk about it more yeah, later right the suns yeah. are coming off a uh summer league loss tonight though to the memphis grizzlies in which they shot 35 percent from the field very 2018 19 <laughs> suns-esque 
Uh, and I don't, you know, I, I didn't just lead us off with that because I feel like the Suns obviously are less interesting to watch in summer league this year because last year you had DeAndre Ayton, but I feel like it is a league wide phenomenon where just yeah. every team is less interesting to watch. Really felt like yeah. uh, we were getting a lot of enjoyment out of summer league the past couple of years, hyping up all of these young players. And now all of a sudden, you know, everything happened in a three hour window on July 1st in terms of free agency. I thought we had summer league to uh, look forward to after that. And died out pretty quick i think deandre hunter might be the only top five pick that's even playing at this point and he might be held out at some point and he's not exactly the most exciting player to watch it's not that he's not good it's just the type of type of stuff he's good at is not highlight reel worthy so yeah it's been kind of a boring uh, a boring summer league so far and it's you know it's only gonna get worse because as it goes on the less and less big players play and they're trying to test out the end of the bench and figure out which guys will still be an NBA player a year from now, which guys won't. Uh, So that's going to get really boring. But it's been about a week since the last time we recorded. And it feel honestly, it feels like a month. It really feels like a month, maybe the longest week in the NBA ever in the last week, Sam, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard joined forces in Los Angeles, not on the Lakers on the Clippers, Josh Jackson and DeAnthony Melton were traded Trades for all teams were finalized. Summer League began. An earthquake happened. All of that. And Kelly Oubre still has not signed. The <laughs> Phoenix Suns still do not have Kelly Oubre. It's been yeah. a crazy week. But let, let, let's go through all of those things. Because I think all of those things are worthy to talk about. Now, of course, we're a Phoenix Suns podcast. But the biggest news is about the Clippers. It's absolutely about the Clippers. Because I was getting in bed <laughs> when this happened. I'll remember where I was. This is going to be like one of those things. where Where were you when the woge bomb dropped uh i was about to go to bed and i all of a sudden my phone vibrates and i look at it and it says Kawhi leonard has chosen the clippers first of all shout out to chris haynes for breaking that good for him uh had i think he had durant and Kawhi this summer so the two biggest things that happened this summer were, were broken by chris haynes stuff that matters to me and you sam only maybe me a little more and then immediately afterwards woge said the Clippers are finalizing a trade to send Paul George to the Clippers from OKC for like a million things, basically. <laughs> the, entire, the entire future of the Clippers has been traded to OKC. This is completely insane. My first thought is I'm happy it wasn't the Lakers. We talked a little bit about that on our last podcast. I really didn't want the season to be over before it began the way it was the last four years. So it's nice that he went somewhere besides the Lakers. Uh, and then, you know, so many other thoughts kind of flooded into my mind. What did you think? Where were you, Sam, when the news broke? I was driving. I've been doing a ton of driving over the past couple of weeks. So it <laughs> feels like every time I've gotten into a car for several hours at a time, uh, something has happened. And then, you know, I look at my phone when I park and have about 25 tweet notifications from Woj and, and Shams and all those people. Uh, not Chris Haynes, though. Maybe I should start following him since... You're right. I, I, I do think you uh, pay a little bit more attention to that sort of stuff than I do. Uh, the Clippers are really good now, and it's hard to exactly parse through how I feel about the Clippers. On the one hand, I'm kind of happy for them. They've always felt like a little brother organization to the Lakers out in L.A., and and I do kind of feel like they deserve some success. And I also think they've put together, uh, maybe more importantly, a pretty likable group of superstars now. Uh, well, two superstars and then just a lot of good role players with what they're building. It feels like a team that even though they're in our division, you can actually kind of root for. Like we talked last week about how much parity there will be in the NBA now if a situation like that were to occur. Uh, and of all of the contenders, it's maybe them in Milwaukee that I'll actually be rooting for the most. 
On the other hand, obviously for the Suns, you know, this is why we have to talk about this. It's relevant to the Suns and the Suns now maybe have the strongest strength of schedule of any team going into the um, going into the next season. We already knew it was going to be really hard, but they're faced with probably, I don't know, three 50 plus win teams in their division, plus the Kings, who are probably going to be about 500. And then the rest of the Western Conference with, uh, you know, Houston and Portland and Denver and, and just all these teams, it's going to be an uphill battle. So we need to keep that in the back of our minds as we talk about even if the Suns have improved, uh, so have a lot of other teams. 12 games next season against the Lakers, Clippers, and Warriors is going to be really fucking tough. Yeah. I mean, the guys that are in the division now, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, no more it's Kevin the Olympic Durant, team. at least. Yeah, yeah, basically. It's the, U- it's the U.S. Olympic team minus Harden and Westbrook and Lillard, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and they're going to be playing against the Suns. Exactly. I think it would be easy to be like a huge fan of this Clippers team because, well, I mean, the rest of the guys outside of Kawhi and Paul George are very likable already. And it's not that Kawhi and Paul George are not likable. I think there are reasons to not like what Paul George did to get there. I mean, he signed a long-term deal in OKC. The The Thunder fans were super excited. And in the middle of the night, basically, they find out that the future of the team was gone. And now they have to go through a massive rebuild in a place that's never really seen a loser. Like, the OKC team was relatively good when they started in OKC. They already had Kevin Durant. They already had Russell Westbrook. And now they're really going to bottom out. It's the only way. They have to trade Russell Westbrook, which we're going to talk about in a second. And uh, it's hard not to be a little bit mad about Paul George doing that. What you don't want, like for the Suns, one of our saving graces is that Devin Booker is on a long-term deal now. And what we do is we look at that and say, well, of course he's not going to ask for a trade. He still has five years left. (laughs) Well, Paul George just proved that it's possible to do it after the first year of a long-term deal. He just did. And... And it wasn't because the OKC Thunder are a bad organization or a bad team. They were relatively good last year. There is maybe a little bit of a story of do players not want to play with Westbrook? I think it's a fair thing to ask at this point because so many players did not enjoy it. And so many players have played a little bit better when they've left. Uh, So that's a fair thing to say. But now we've seen that happen. So outside of Paul George, Kawhi Leonard is very likable. He won a championship in Toronto. And if you're leaving Toronto, okay, cool. You won a championship there. It's hard to imagine that those... Raptors fans are going to be angry with Kawhi Leonard at this point. He just went back to the place that he grew up, and now he's playing for a team where he likes to live, around his family, around his friends, around the area that he knows better than everywhere else. You just move somewhere new. You know how it is when you're somewhere new. You just don't really know everything around you. He's going back (laughs) home. He's going to go somewhere where he knows everything. Uh, So it's hard to blame him. So the rest of that team is insanely like I love Lou Williams because, first of all, he's insane on the court. Um, This type of stuff he does is amazing. How good he is at the pick and roll in this last year has really been impressive to me. Also insanely likable off the court. Mm. I I will never forget the story about him having two girlfriends and then saying that's what everyone in the NBA has two girlfriends. (laughs) Uh, I was going to mention that. (laughs) (laughs) And then there was a story later that was like, Lou Williams breaks up with one of his girlfriends. (laughs) And I just love that kind of thing. Um, And of course, Pat Beverly uh, is insanely likable. And then you have Montrez Harrell, a guy who just really pulled himself up, Um, a guy who's barely in the league at one point and then became one of the better centers, I think, in the NBA at this point, Uh, one of the more effective pick and roll players. So they're insanely likable, but they're in the Pacific Division. So that as a Suns fan, it's hard for me to want to root for them in any way. You know, you kind of just want them to fail or at least rest two of those guys when they play against the Suns. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just to throw out some stats, I I think the Clippers have just built 
probably the best offense in the NBA. Just with these two superstars, I think this team is going to prove that you only need two stars to do it. You don't necessarily need, say, the big three that the Warriors had last season with Durant, Curry, and, and Clay to an extent. Like, you've got two of the best isolation scorers in the NBA between Kawhi and Paul George, but also two of the best defenders in those guys. You've surrounded them with Patrick Beverly just finishing the 83rd percentile in spot-up efficiency. He's a great catch-and-shoot guy. You said earlier the Clippers mortgaged their entire future in this trade, but Landry Shamit is the yeah. one guy they kept, and he's going to be so important. Right. As as awesome as Lou Williams is with his multiple girlfriends, you want to keep him. You want to keep him on the bench because I will talk about that in a second. They don't he's have too usage. much of a bench. Yeah, he's high usage. He's he's a perfect six man. Shamit is a guy who came in last season as a rookie, tore it up from three point range. He was in the seventy eighth percentile spot up but more importantly he's not just a spot up guy he's a guy who can curl around screens he can uh shoot off the catch uh he's like a jj a jj reddick type shooter yeah. i feel like anytime you have a shooter like that jj yeah. reddick is the first right. name you throw out right. but he's a guy like that just fits seamlessly into that offense you've got two iso guys they can play the pick and roll but more importantly when you need a bucket in the fourth quarter they can go and get it you surround them with a guy who's elite in catch and shoot situ- two guys who are elite in catch-and-shoot situations, one of those guys who can catch uh, in movement. And then you've got one of the best, and I mean seriously, one of the best pick-and-roll finishers in the NBA in Montrez Harrell. He finished in the 88th percentile uh, on pick-and-roll finishing efficiency as well. So, like, all around, you've already got uh, three elite defenders between Beverly, Kawhi, and Paul George, but you've got five guys who are all elite at something on offense no other team in the uh in the nba can say that at this point i don't think that lakers definitely can't with their uh depth issues in terms of trying to surround lebron and uh davis with talent so i think right. the clippers might be the favorites going yeah. into next season at this point and a lot of the uh vegas odds do reflect that yeah i i actually i think they're even with the lakers at this point and it, it kind of begs the question Outside of the depth and, and the problems that uh, like the Lakers have outside of their two stars, which I think can be resolved at some point during the season, there's going to be buyouts, there's going to be guys that are available to be traded for. I think there's a, the potential for LA to round out their, the Lakers, I should say, to round out their roster a little bit better than it is right now. And even right now, it's okay. I think they're still probably going to start KCP. So it's a guy who is supposed to be a great shooter who wasn't a great shooter and, and is one of the worst defenders in the NBA uh, statistically. Could get better, of course. Uh, but if they're still starting him, they have a hole, basically. <laughs> That's part of the thing. And as we all know, he's a Rich Paul client, so if you want to speculate as to why he's still on that team, I think the answer is pretty clear. He has LeBron's agent. <laughs> Guys that have LeBron's agent tend to be on his team. Trist- Shout out to Tristan Thompson for being massively overpaid. Uh, <laughs> it's just what happens. So, you know, they outside of that, let's just look at the, the duos. Would you rather have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to build around or Anthony Davis in an aging LeBron James? Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Is it the age thing? Because that's what it is for me. Mm, it's the injury thing. Anthony Davis is young, but he's... It's true. And Paul George, we forget, like, just how good Paul George was one of the most improved players in the NBA this season. I mean, he upped his scoring from from 22 to 28 points in a single season. He remains, he's an elite isolation player, like I said, but he's a phenomenal three-point shooter compared to when he came into the league. He's a guy who can really put it on the floor. He always is close to leading uh, in terms of steals and deflections. In fact, I think he did lead the NBA in steals this season as well, but he's gotten better as a playmaker. 
like he's so close to being up there with the rest of them that uh, I think it's not it's not just the age. It's the age and the injury history. Right. Um, one thing I want to mention, you were talking a minute ago uh, about Paul George got out of OKC in the first year of his contract extension to relate that back to the Suns. I think where the Suns kind of come into play here. James Jones is a guy who understands this. There was this whole interview with James Jones that we can talk about. You know, he, he went on TV during Summer League. I think he gave a lot of generic answers, just said what you were supposed to say. But he was talking about people ask him, are you one of them now? You know, referring to has he made the transition over from the player side to the management side of things, really to being a GM, to being a, one of that kind of different class of people uh, in the NBA hierarchy. And he said, no, I'm, I, I still very much consider myself like, a player, not a GM. He's a GM who supposedly is going to understand the players. He understands that the league is different now. He's been talking to guy. I mean, you know, how many seasons did he play with LeBron James? He understands the increased leverage. And really, it feels like every season, players have more and more leverage. And there's more and more precedent to players being able to get out of their contracts early and uh, force a team's hand. So James Jones understands the uh, gravity of that situation uh, and I, I think he's really going to put his best foot forward to try to surround Devin Booker with talent over the next year or two, because he probably understands that that's realistically all he has left uh, before Booker gets too frustrated. Right. That, you know, we might as well talk a little bit about that interview now since we're on that topic, because one of the things I thought he did that was really smart is the way that he talked to DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker early on in the offseason. He had a quote where he said, if we didn't have Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, I would be a lot more worried. Uh, I'd be a lot more worried about trying to get stars, essentially. Which, yeah, obvious. <laughs> an obvious thing to say. But I actually think that basically told us that there was no plan to go after stars. Uh, that early in the offseason, we could have said, okay, D'Angelo Russell's probably off the table here. He's not trying to get a star. He's trying to get players to surround uh, these two guys. And he talked about that in that Summer League interview. He basically said, I'm going to surround you two with, with players. I'm going to surround you with guys that make sense with you. I'm going to surround you with guys that can play in the NBA. But that's not going to work. It's up to you two to actually step up and be the stars that are necessary in order for this entire thing to work. And I think he's done that. Ricky Rubio is an NBA player. He's about to be you know, in his 30s. He's a guy that's essentially in his late prime that has a lot of experience playing professional uh, professional basketball. Dario Saric played professional basketball before coming to the NBA as well. This guy's been playing for a long time. Um, those two guys in the starting lineup, along with hopefully Kelly Oubre, which we're going to talk about later, those are NBA players. And there's the, in that starting lineup alone, those are, those are guys that fit around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And I think going forward, how good they are is so vital to this team that I thought that was a really smart way to approach it and say... The pressure's on you now because this is the real truth about this. Devin Booker has sort of slid under the radar. Now, of course, he gets a lot of hate from a lot of people that just don't watch the Suns and look at the wins and losses and say he's a loser. All he's done is lose. Why are they still losing? They have a bunch of lottery picks, as Bill Simmons says, and they're still losing. And I think he's slid under the radar. He's actually been able to avoid the the like highest level of criticism that NBA stars get because his rosters around him have been so bad. And I think the spotlight now that there are a bunch of players that actually play basketball on this team, actual NBA players, that sort of their skill sets do sort of fit around them. Not ideal skill sets, but this is still skill sets that are the best fit he's ever had in the NBA. Devin Booker specifically, the pressure is on him more than it's ever been before because if the Suns are still terrible this year and he still gets stats, then 
a case can easily be made that he's what his haters think he is, which is a guy who puts up empty stats on a team that can't win. And I think there, you know, we're going to talk about this a lot going forward, obviously, but that pressure is going to be on him more than ever before. And I thought it was smart of James Jones to address that this early in the offseason and say, it's up to you now. You have to step up. If you think you were good last year, that's fine, but that's not going to do it this next year. Uh, the pressure's all on you now. And as the face of the franchise, the guy with the $150 million contract, the media is going to be coming after them if they're still, after him specifically, if they're still bad next year. Yeah, I agree. So the thing about Devin Booker is I think his offense is undeniable. And I think we've been arguing that for a while when national analysts come after him. But his defense, it's been bad. Um, and, and there's a big gap even in Devin Booker's defense and the defense of other stars. Like people used to give James Harden a hard time. But quite honestly, Devin Booker's defense, I'd say, is is worse than James Harden's before Harden improved. Uh, And up until this point, we've kind of been able as Suns fans, uh, as a collective fan base, to shelter Devin Booker from that criticism by saying, hey, the Suns are so bad. Uh, This management obviously doesn't care about building around him. And so many of these games are blowouts. How can you expect him, in addition to carrying such a heavy offensive load, to care about defense each and every possession? This season, more so than any season uh, before, is really going to be the test of that. Like, it's a bad defensive team. We've talked about that. The tools aren't exactly there for the Suns overall to make smart defensive rotations. But if the Suns are going to be a better team, if they're at least going to be competitive for hopefully 30 to 35 wins, uh, then Devin Booker needs to care about defense. He needs to care about more than just the offensive side of the ball. And this season, more than any others, where we really need to see big improvement from him on that half of the court. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah, I do I do think the criticism is really going to ramp up for him around yeah. the league. And I even think, to, to your point, that 30 to 35 wins, that's not enough to avoid it, to be honest. And maybe that's a realistic expectation, and maybe that's a massive improvement still. But I still think that's too little. That's too little, especially in the West. And I think it's easy. It's going to be easy to attack him even at that level. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking about it earlier today. Like, how many wins would it take, basically, for Devin Booker to actually avoid that criticism coming off of this year? And it's gonna, it's gonna have to be like around forty. And I don't think that's a realistic expectation. That would take a massive leap for him offensively, even though he's well, good on offense already, and a huge, huge leap defensively, just like you talked about. Yeah, I, th- I think probably about forty to forty. Wins aren't important. Playoffs is important because that's all people remember. You know, Goran Dragic won 48 wins with the Suns. No one remembers that season except how much of an outlier it was outside of Suns fans, of course. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, win 41 games but make the eighth seed, that's fine. Win 47 games and make the ninth seed, that doesn't matter. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny how that works. Oh, but I think I, you're right think, about that. But I think if, if we won 41 games and maybe are the ninth seed and he is on an all-star team, I think that at that point, some of the criticism will actually go away. You know, some of it. There's some, little yeah. things that can help mitigate that a little bit. But I think you're right. The playoffs is definitely the most important thing. Okay, but to take us back to where we started this conversation, this conversation isn't only about Devin Booker, and we ourselves need to be careful of that as well, because Devin Booker clearly needs to make strides defensively. But if we're talking about really getting to a 40 to 45 win benchmark, which, guys, that's pretty crazy for this season. I I don't want to get your hopes up like that. Uh, DeAndre Ayton needs to become Carl Anthony Towns, Joel Embiid. He needs to take a big leap forward. Uh, And he needs to play like the second superstar on this team, not just an efficient pick and roll 
rim running offensive big who, you know, maybe has some lateral quickness, but for the most part really struggles defensively. He needs to really play like the second best player on a good NBA team. And so far he hasn't been that. And I don't, you know, I don't think it's necessarily fair to expect him to be that in a second season either. This is just, you know, the natural progression that we see from young teams. But obviously, if the Suns are going to be a great team, uh, it starts with those two. The media isn't fair. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You're right. It's probably not a, not fair to expect that from him. But w- what we're talking about now, this conversation, how we got here, I'm not sure, but is about, <laughs> I don't remember the, scrutiny, <laughs> is about the scrutiny that they're going to get uh, from from the national media. And I think at this point, much more fairly if it does happen than, than before. I think that if this team fails, that that pressure and that, that scrutiny does fall on those two guys' back. And I think it's not, yeah, you're right. I think it's, it, it, eight and it's a lot to do with it as well. But it doesn't matter to a lot of people that he's going to be a second-year player. I think the the overall context of it and the people that pay attention to the nuance and people that, if he does improve, recognize the improvements and can project it forward, to those people it will matter. But that's a very small percentage of people who play, pay attention to basketball. So that spotlight, that heat, is going to be on them very dramatically. And I like that. I, I'm actually really looking forward to this. I'm I'm excited to see a team where... Uh, we took their excuses away, basically. Like, we took the excuses that Devin Booker's had and Devin Booker stands have had. And, you know, Devin Booker never makes excuses, to, to his credit. He always says the right thing. But the excuses for him have always been, his teammates are always terrible. He doesn't have anybody to give him the ball. Uh, for DeAndre Ayton, the big thing for him was, look how good he did, and that's without a point guard. You know, that was a massive thing that Suns fans like to say about DeAndre Ayton last year. And now going forward, he does have a point guard, not only a point guard, but maybe one of the most creative passers, especially to big men in the NBA, is now his his point guard running pick and rolls with him. So those excuses are now gone. And I think as Suns fans, we should be excited for this. For me, I, it's exciting to me because I like when Devin Booker is in high pressure situations. I think that's when he's done some of the most interesting things that he's, has happened in his career. And I think if this team actually puts a competitive product out there on the floor those high-pressure situations are going to happen more and more often. So personally, I'm pretty excited to see what, what it's going to look like if, when this all goes down. I'm very excited. Uh, I'm also nervous. Yeah, I think it's fair be- to be nervous too. Yeah, because you know, anytime you finally start to commit to a core, uh, there's always the likely possibility that it doesn't pan out, and you kind of have to know when to recognize that Uh, And when you're going to have to pull the plug, I'm not saying if the Suns don't meet their expectations this year, that they would be time to pull the plug and uh, start afresh and trade Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton right then. I'm absolutely Mm. not saying that, but you, you do need to be sort of cognizant of is Devin Booker actually going to play like a max player because you're paying him like one. uh, And those things are going to be important going forward. I just want to give a shout out preemptively to the YouTube comments that just say that you said trade Devin Booker and DeAndre (laughs) Just those words next to each other will be in the YouTube comments. I mean, if you could trade, if you could trade Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, like the Clippers just did, like the Clippers just trade, or sorry, like the Thunder just did. If you could trade Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton for 10 first round picks, five from, from two different teams. Yeah. Would you do it? No, 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 I wouldn't. I really wouldn't. I think those picks are, there's no chance that they're going to yield as good of a player as Paul George, or a very, very small chance that one of those picks is going to yield a player as good as Paul George, even though they have a lot of cracks at it. Although they do have an interesting future going forward, I do not want to watch another rebuild, and that's the main reason that I would not do it. <laughs> but that is yeah, a fascinating... I'm so tired of rebuilds. 
Yeah, I'm just, yeah, it's not going to happen. Uh, okay, see, we brought them up again. We have to talk about it. I don't really want to talk about it. it. Let's, you know, <laughs> we should talk about Suns related stuff, though. So let's quickly <laughs> just say Russell Westbrook is not coming to Phoenix. No. Uh, we felt pressured to mention this yeah. to you guys, but yeah. it's not happening and it shouldn't happen. Well, I mean, here's what I will say I'm not totally confident that it won't happen because. <laughs> But I don't think it should. Uh, you know, Monty Williams has a relationship with Russell Westbrook. Supposedly, they're relatively close. He's coached him before. Um, and, you know, this team, you know, I, I, you can't put it past Robert Sarver to want a massive star on the team. I'll say that. It's not some. I don't think we have any proof that this is something that he's wanted to do in the past. I think, of course, every owner wants a star. But it's not like we've had a situation where we've given up massive assets for a star. If anything, we're the team that did not sh- trade Josh Jackson for Kyrie Irving. So there's a history of not doing something like this for the Phoenix Suns, but it shouldn't happen. It's just that that contract is completely insane. And I will say this, Russell Westbrook is still good. He's still very good at basketball. He's a, he's a top 10 player probably in the NBA currently. It's just, he's paid so much and so much of his game is predicated on being really good athletically. And the idea that he's going to make over $40 million in his mid thirties it's, it's just too dangerous to do. And, and the one thing I will say about Russell Westbrook, this is a guy who works hard every offseason, and, and he's a constant guy who works hard all the time. That's the big story about Russell Westbrook. And this before the season ended, or right when his season ended, he very publicly said that he needs to fix his jump shot and he's got to get better at shooting threes. And I want to say what would be hilarious is if, player, if teams don't want to give up anything for Russell Westbrook and then all of a sudden he has a Jason Kidd-like change in his three-point shot late in his career <laughs> and becomes a really effective player, I'm not going to rule it out. I won't because I, I think Russell Westbrook is the type of guy that will become completely obsessed with actually trying to do that. And I'm not going to rule it out entirely. It's just that I wouldn't bet on it either. It's just not, you know, it's just not something that I would bet on. Your weekly VORP stat for me is that Russell Westbrook was sixth in the NBA in VORP last season. Yeah. 5.6 so yeah he's obviously a very good pl- i mean look vorp is it's an advanced stat but it's derived from box score stats so guys who yeah. stuff the stat sheet russell westbrook is the definition of that uh, yeah. so obviously that's going to reflect his shooting efficiency sucks and we know that but i think you're you're right and like i wouldn't bet on westbrook becoming jason kidd but i wouldn't rule it out either what i would rule out is you can't teach a 30 year old who's been in the NBA for a decade to suddenly defer to other players. Like how could you, if Russell Westbrook is going to be making $40 million or even $45 million, but not play like it, you know, he's going to play like a 15 or $20 million player at the age of 33 or something. You know, if his, he blows out his knee or something like that, can you teach him to give the ball to Devin Booker? He's kind of made a career uh, out of literally, he's the guy more so than anyone else in the league where ball watching uh, is just his thing. Russell Westbrook doesn't move off ball. He doesn't know how to play off ball. He's maybe the worst off ball fit. Uh, not the worst because he's still such an effective guy. If you, if you get the ball in his hands, like he's not, you know, a bad NBA player, obviously, but he's such a bad off ball fit with Devin Booker in an offense because he just wouldn't do anything. He gives the ball to <laughs> one of his teammates for a few seconds. And then he stands there at the top of the key with his yeah. hands on his on his waist and waits for the ball to come back to him, and that's ten just feet what behind he's the three point line too. Ten like, feet way behind, behind the three point line, yeah. and he he's obviously not providing any spacing. He's not the kind of guy who does that. They uh, play so way he's off kind of him. Yeah, you play way off of him, and he's kind of useless. Uh, so just for that reason alone, I mean, 
it just it just doesn't really make sense with Phoenix. And I say this as the guy who's been frustrated. I've said it time and time again on this podcast about the Suns not going after players. Like, you know, I think as happy as I am to have Rubio right now, I think Mike Conley was still very attainable just a month ago. And, you know, we didn't even try. Uh, and and the Jazz got him for not that much. If you're not going to go after Mike Conley, I certainly wouldn't want to go after Russell Westbrook. Yeah, um, two things with that. The off-ball thing, the fact that he's such a terrible off-ball player is the main reason I want him on the Houston Rockets. <laughs> I love the idea of yeah, you know what? James Harden you know just what? taking that turns. That might kind of work because the Rockets yeah. are... They are that team. The Rockets are yeah. that team. They're modern, but they're not modern. The Rockets are so funny. You know, they're modern because they shoot so many threes uh, and, you know, more so than really any other team. But they're not modern because so often we think about these motion offenses. You talk about it every week with the Spurs because the Spurs, you know, kind of coined that phrase back in 2013, 2014 when they beat LeBron. But then moving on to teams like the Warriors, the Rockets, on the other hand, are a team where two-thirds of their possessions are Chris Paul or James Harden hugging the ball for Mm -hmm. 20 seconds. And you know what? Russell Westbrook would kind of fit into that system. Yeah. And I like the idea because part of what makes isolation so hard is that it's really difficult athletically. It takes a lot out of you. It makes you really tired to isolate over and over again. And and so that's part of the reason I think that James Harden takes so many plays off offensively when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. It's that he's going to have to isolate 10 plays in a row at the end of the game, and he's trying to conserve as much energy as possible. And the idea that he can conserve energy while Westbrook goes at his man, and then Westbrook can conserve energy while James Harden goes at his man, I know that most people, I will I will give a shout out to this, most people will hate watching that, but I will absolutely love it. I think, I think it'll be really bizarre and weird, and I think I'd have a good time watching that just to see, all right, this is Westbrook's turn, let's see what he's going to do. Oh, he's running by his man, oh, he's pulling up at, at, the, at the corner, at the nail, and he's missing a jumper. And, and then we'll see what James Harden does on the next play, probably a step back three. Uh, but the other point I wanted to make about the Westbrook trade is, it's impossible to get for the Suns because he makes, I think, $38 million next year alone. And the Suns don't have a lot of big salary guys. The only ones are Tyler Johnson, who still makes half of what Westbrook makes this coming season. And then uh, Devin Booker, which clearly you're not going to get rid of well, Devin Booker. At, at you know, They've got Rubio, but they can't trade him until December 15th. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. So that means that the only ways to get Russell Westbrook are trading Rubio right after signing him, which is a bad look. That's a bad look. You dedicated a lot of money to a guy, and how are you going to get free agents after that? The Suns don't, the Suns don't have a great history of free agents already. We've, we lucked out in the 90s and with Steve Nash, but beyond that, there's not much to really point at as wins for free agency, and Ricky Rubio is probably in the top five, top ten free agents the Suns have ever signed. And that's how, that's how bleak it's been. So the idea that you would sign a guy like that and trade him immediately... That's going to take a lot. And the other option is a signing trade with Kelly Oubre. That's the only other way to make it work. And if you want to do a signing trade with Kelly Oubre, there's a lot of factors that have to fall into place for that to work. And that includes Kelly Oubre wanting to go to a team that no longer has Russell Westbrook, that no longer has Paul George, and not return to the Suns where he, by his own admission, actually really enjoyed playing. So, you know, it's just, there's so many reasons to not trade for Russell Westbrook. And one of the main ones is that it's basically impossible with the players that we have right now. So I expect it not to happen. No, it it won't happen. I think you summed it up nicely. Won't happen, shouldn't happen. Let's take a quick break and we'll talk a little bit more about Kelly Oubre, Josh Jackson, and Summer League. When you're selling online, getting orders out can be a real pain. 
That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. Right now, Blue Wire listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk, and you can start your free trial without even entering your credit card information. ShipStation works with all major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE, B-L-U-E. That's ShipStation.com, then enter the promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. This is Tom Leander, and you're listening to the Timeline Podcast with Mike and Sam. He elevates and detonates. All right, Sam. So Josh Jackson was traded finally, and he's no longer on the team. So hopefully this will be the last podcast that we ever have to talk about. (laughs) Uh, I don't give. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, along with DeAnthony Melton is all I was going to say. That's, you know, it wasn't Josh Jackson by himself. It was DeAnthony Melton, Josh Jackson for Javon Carter and Kyle Korver, who was immediately waived for cap space, basically trading Josh Jackson for cap space, along with one, basically two picks. There was a pick that was already traded that was lightly protected. Basically, the rest of the what could have fallen to the Suns is now going to the Grizzlies and another second round pick. So two second round picks to get rid of Josh Jackson's Awful, awful contract uh, <laughs> after he had a disaster, complete disaster uh, off season <laughs> in the time where he should be making a good impression on teams if he wants to stay in the NBA long term. This trade has garnered some mixed reviews around the internet. Some people hate it. Some people mildly like it. I don't think anybody thinks it was like a home run trade. I think the concession for most, including me, is that Josh Jackson's contract was completely awful and he made a fool of himself this offseason and it was going to be a disaster to try and get rid of him. There was no way to win a trade for Josh Jackson. That's kind of how I feel. I know you had different thoughts initially, Sam. What do you what do you think? Yeah, I don't give a shit about Josh Jackson. That's just what I was going <laughs> to say earlier. Uh, what a what a wreck. His entire tenure with the Phoenix Suns was a disaster. Gambo is earning a, a lot of credit yeah. <laughs> this offseason uh i thought something you know first of all all the stuff he said about d turned out to be true but then also he posted that picture of uh, being you know josh jackson's limo driver so to speak that i thought <laughs> was really funny and all this stuff happened almost a week ago so i don't want to dwell too much on it but this trade no one cares about josh jackson i think except for the the most irrational among us Everyone agrees that Josh Jackson was a bad basketball player last year and that honestly at this point he probably doesn't have too much of a chance to become a good basketball player. Yeah. Uh, for me and for all of you as well listening, it's all about how you feel about DeAnthony Melton because how you evaluate this trade just comes down to the Suns had another option. Uh, they could have waived and sh- stretched Josh Jackson's contract and still have created the money necessary uh, to be able to sign Ricky Rubio. 
And doing that, you would be paying Josh Jackson about $2.4 million over the next three years instead of $7 million over the next one year is his original contract. So in order to avoid that situation, they traded DeAnthony Melton instead because they needed to package an asset with Jackson to get someone to take him because that's how bad Josh Jackson is. Personally, <laughs> I mean, Mike, I, th- I think you just don't really care about DeAnthony Melton. I think he's a, a pretty good prospect. I think he has yeah. a pretty good chance uh, to be... You know, he's not quite in the best case scenario like Patrick Beverly, and he's not quite in the worst case scenario, just another one of these athletic dudes that can't really do anything uh, other than try on defense like Shaq Harrison. I think he's likely going to be somewhere in the middle, but I think somewhere in the middle is still more valuable than 2.4 million over the next couple of seasons. Like I value DeAnthony Melton as a prospect more than I value two and a half million dollars that you can't really use on anyone. Uh, and so that's that's the only place where that criticism of the trade comes into play. The Suns keep killing my favorite hustle players. Right. Uh, first it was Shaq Harrison, then it was Rashawn Holmes. I whined about that. Now yeah. I'm going to whine a little bit. I'm going to do my piece on DeAnthony Melton. And the only reason I do that is because this is a team that needs defense, and this is a team that needs athleticism, and who better to provide those sorts of things than guys like Rashawn Holmes and DeAnthony Melton. If we're drafting guys like Cam Johnson who have back issues, or drafting guys like Ty Jerome where one of the biggest concerns about him is lack of athleticism i don't care that you draft those guys you know to improve the shooting of the team which they did but you might as well have a couple of guys on the roster where like athleticism is their thing and for melton athleticism was his thing and i just would have preferred to keep him Uh, that's that's really where the criticism of the trade comes into play yeah and i think you had a good point on twitter about second round picks or you know it's easy to write them off but you know the raptors were a good example of second round picks becoming vital to a championship team and if you hit on them they matter, you know, a lot of times. Obviously, they matter less often. They don't matter less often, more often than they do matter, is what I should say. Most of them are not hits. You don't hit on most second-round picks, and I think that's how they looked at it. But I think, to me, this is a calculation of, first of all, I'll say this about DeAnthony Melton. I like DeAnthony Melton a lot, but I do think that Suns fans in general overrate him because he's a hustle guy on a terrible team, and hustle guys on terrible teams tend to get overrated. Uh, as I said, I... I overrate Rashawn Holmes I like Rashawn Holmes a lot and I think I still overrate him a little bit because uh, how much it meant I think to Suns fans to see a guy who was giving it his all 100% of the time he was on the floor even when they're down by 30 and I think it's important to have guys like that on a team those are the type of guys that actually can help your culture a little bit uh PJ Tucker was always that guy in the past but you know those teams were kind of good partially because PJ Tucker was on that team but I think he was a little bit overrated for that reason alone. It's not that I don't think he'll be a good player. It's just that you can't really point at a single offensive skill that he has. And if you don't have a single offensive skill, then there's a chance that you're not good. He's going to have to work really hard offensively to become good because his passes were never great. He had a lot of turnovers and he just couldn't shoot. Maybe his shot will be fixed, but that's what they said before the draft. So who knows? Yeah, I, I think he can hit the open three. I think he'll be Beverly. I think he won't be as good as Beverly, but I think he'll be a version of that. It's a small sample size, but he shot 37% on catch-and-shoot threes. I think the advantage of DeAnthony Melton is he's like 6'4". He's got a 6'9 wingspan. If he can just hit the open three, which he did a little bit last season, and you don't worry about him having to create for himself whatsoever, because you're right, he's not really a good point guard. He's, He's actually one of the worst maybe the worst point guard in the playmaking sense in the entire NBA last season. So I do need to point that out. But if he can hit the open three, you can play him at the two. 
And if you can play him at the two, I mean, his defense, he can guard ones or twos, no problem. So if he can do that, he can stay in the NBA uh, for sure. I just think how good he would have to get at that three to, to be completely valuable, like like at, to the point where he could potentially be a starter, like a Danny Green level player. He would have to massively, massively improve at that three-point shot in order to be that good. And, and um you can roll the dice on that. I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but I think just so many players' careers end with, oh, if only he could figure out that three-point shot. And I think that the highest likelihood to me is that could be DeAnthony Melton. I don't root for that. I want him to, to be a good player, and I think he there's a, there's definitely a path for him figuring it out. But to me, at this point, you know his potential and Javon Carter's potential are about the same to me. Uh, these are two guys who were defensive stalwarts. Javon Carter does not have the same body as DeAnthony Melton. I think DeAnthony Melton's major advantage it's just like you talked about his size and his length and Javon Carter does not have that. But I think Javon Carter has that same reputation as a bulldog who will get up into your Jersey and uh, make you uncomfortable uh, throughout the entire game. And I think it's nice that, you know, the sun's making this trade, got a guy that has that kind of potential. And Javon Carter has had games in the past where he, uh, he's shown that he can shoot. He had, I think he had a game with eight threes last year. I think it was the last game of the season. So <laughs> it was, it was like Alec one of those. Peters game. It was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> weird stuff happens on the last game of any season, yeah. man. Archie Goodwin, 29 points. Alec Peters, 50 points. They're 36, whatever he actually scored. Yeah. Uh, the end of every season is weird. He really hit eight. Th- oh, my God. Yeah. Javon Carter, 32 points against the Warriors in, in 26 minutes. Look at that. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a guy that I think, to me, the I, I know that peop, some Suns fans will probably hate to hear this, but to me, Javon Carter, D'Anthony Milton, interchangeable. There's just so many prospects that um, are, are like that. You know, you're right. You know, Sam, you're right. It's D'Anthony Milton's body, I think, that makes him a higher, and his athleticism, that makes him a higher level prospect going forward. But just there's so much, to me, there's just so much he would have to fix to be a good player that it just doesn't hurt me as much. The second round picks are another thing, and I think that a lot of people have said that it's entirely stupid to to not waive him. And I, I honestly, I don't think it is. I think having a young team with two potential stars in Devin Booker, if you really believe that Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton are potential stars and could show that this coming year, having a really clean book going forward for cap space is something that does matter. I think that the Nets just proved that. It's not like the Suns are going to do something that crazy. But the Nets just proved that if you have a young team that overperforms and then a clean book, you can get stars. You can get guys that actually want to join that. So to me, I think it shows a lot of confidence that James Jones has in these young guys. And it's possible that he believes that that cap space is really valuable going forward, more valuable than those second round picks. Well, uh, and there's always yeah. a chance to buying second round picks. And I'm not going to say like that's all that happens all the time. It, it, you know, it happened a lot this last year, coincidentally. I think four picks were bought in the second round in the 2019 draft. But there's always a possibility of buying back into it if you really want to. There is. But for James, yeah, for James Jones, he's definitely confident. You have to have a ton of confidence to value a few million dollars in cap space over two second round picks and DeAnthony Melton. Earlier I said it was Melton, but you're right. The second round picks are also included in that conversation. Uh, I don't know, dude. You could swing arguments for it either way. That's why I feel like we don't need to talk about this for too long. You've got the Nets in one situation. You see the advantage of the Nets with their cap space. You see the advantage with the Raptors with their second round picks that just led them to a title. 
Right, exactly. So, you know, it kind of, it's like teams do one thing or the other and then they're successful and then we kind of try to build a precedent yeah. out of that. Yeah. Um, but there's no rhyme or reason to it. And the Nets have a few second round picks that hit too. <laughs> so it's like, there, it, 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 all of it matters. I mean, all of the margins matter. And I think that's why this conversation is interesting overall is because there were some things that were done on the margins that a lot of people think maybe didn't have to be done if they just maybe should have just waived him or stretched him and had to pay him for the next few years. So, you know, it's a gamble, I think, that James Jones made. And I think to see how how much this pays off going forward will will be to see how they use that cap space going going forward in the future or, or who's picked at those uh, levels or who's available at those picks um, that the Suns traded. And, and that'll be how we really judge this going forward. Um, so that's all. Let's 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 just end that conversation about josh jackson actually we can't not say this yeah gambo gambo just reported that there was a dnp game for josh oh, jackson oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and uh, this is just this is just the josh jackson stories are just they're never good i mean he he got arrested for doing something insanely stupid twice uh he got arrested again or he's being charged potentially in court with you know potentially giving drugs or being around a toddler uh, a four-month-old, and uh, that toddler may be getting high on marijuana. I don't know that that's true. I'm not going to say that it for sure is. But the other thing that just came out, and this happened a while, a few years ago. This was under Triano, Jay Triano. And this story somehow didn't get a lot of play online, so maybe this will be the first that a lot of people are hearing about it. Josh Jackson got a DNP right after New Year's, and a lot of people were like, uh, he's, they're benching Josh Jackson. They're benching him because he needs to figure things out. He needs to get a little better. And uh, this is going to matter going forward because it's going to get into him that he's not playing the right way. Turns out, no, he just got drunk and threw up on the court during practice on New Year's Eve. <laughs> well, first of all, been there. So I feel you <laughs> on that one, Josh. But um, but uh, but I'm not a professional athlete and he was. And, you know, you're right. I was kind of surprised. Maybe it's uh, like the oversaturation of garbage Josh Jackson stories that people aren't phased by anything he does anymore. Like, remember, you didn't even mention the James Jones buying beer story because it's like like everyone's forgotten about that because of all the times he got arrested and and all this other stuff. But, yeah, there's no uh, question that Josh Jackson was a head case uh, in his time with the Suns. I think it's a good thing that these stories are finally sort of coming to light. Uh, and we always need to be mindful of this as we evaluate prospects and and not kind of let go of them too late and then think, oh, I really should have seen that coming a long time ago. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. evaluate, got to evaluate these guys with an open mind. And yeah. uh, it's tough, man, because there's still there's still a potential that Josh Jackson turns it around and becomes good. And then maybe we're going to look stupid for this. Um, but yeah. I think. I won't kill him for it, no matter what. <clears throat> I won't. I, I, I won't kill him for it. You know, if I, he t- if he turns it around, and if he really, you know, not only on the court, but if he becomes a better person off the court, then all credit to Josh Jackson. I can still yeah, root for Josh Jackson. He didn't absolutely. do anything that detrimental, um, but it was definitely time for the Phoenix Suns to move on. You know what? I was just thinking. I wonder if this incident, where he uh, was still hungover and he threw up on the court during practice is the one that Josh Jackson was talking about when he said, you know, a lot of things have happened behind the scenes that not everyone hears about. <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> he said that after the beer that's event. A, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even <laughs> think of that. Yeah, I just thought of it now. I, I bet it is. I bet, you know, and maybe there's more, and I would love I bet Gambo. there is more. I'm sure Gambo listens to this, right? <laughs> Gambo probably <laughs> doesn't listen to us, but I can think of some people who are behind the scenes that don't have anything to do right now. Maybe we should yeah. hit up Ashley Neville and see if she has any behind the scenes stories. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> don't want to hear those. 
I don't want to hear those, but uh, if there are any, please get them out there. I'd like to hear these Josh Jackson stories. It's it's really funny at this point. So to start this podcast, we talked about the fact that Kelly Oubre has still not signed, and I think we should just break down the situation. I think most people are pretty familiar with it. The last shoe to drop, as far as we were concerned, on the last episode was Kawhi Leonard. We needed to know where Kawhi Leonard was going to go because the two teams that had the most cap space were the two LA teams, and they were in play for Kawhi Leonard. He signed on the Clippers now, and the Lakers immediately used their cap space on other players to fill out their roster, and those players did not include Kelly Oubre. The Mavs still had some cap space that could have been used on Kelly Oubre to give him an offer sheet, and then they used it. They used some of it, at least, enough to sort of get them out of the running for the Kelly Oubre race here. Atlanta, the Knicks still have small amounts of money, but not enough that the Suns would not immediately match if they were to give him an offer sheet. By the way, I said in the last episode that they have the Suns would have three days. That That's actually been reduced to two days to make a decision, so that's good that that decision's a little shorter. Um, it doesn't really matter at this point. There's so few free agents left. I think there's a chance that he'll take the qualifying offer for those people who don't know how that works. He technically has one year left on his deal. If he were to opt into that last year of his deal, he would become an unrestricted free agent in 2020. Sam and I have talked about that free agency market in 2020. It's garbage. He would be one of the better players available and could potentially make more money next year. So that's an option for him. But the other thing is for uh, James Jones and Kelly Oubre and his agent to come to some sort of fair deal to get him back on a team that doesn't embarrass him in this market and makes him feel comfortable coming back onto the Suns. There's not, I know there's not much to talk about about this situation, Sam, but do you have any thoughts on, on how weird this has played out? Uh, yeah, it is kind of weird. Um, he's basically the last domino to fall. Really, I think you had a good point on it. The longer the Suns wait, more people will start to notice, and it might be a calculated play with, with Kelly Oubre at this point. Yep. Like If they can wait it out a little bit, the media will start to catch on and they'll say, hey, wait a second, Kelly Oubre still hasn't signed with the Suns, even though the Suns are the only team with cap space. Oh, I, like I can almost hear Rachel Nichols on the jump in my head. Yeah. With what the some hell are they doing? Stupid, stupid two-minute segment being like, well, the Suns are back at it again, you know, doing yeah. another stupid thing. Like, yeah. when are they going to pay Kelly Oubre? Uh, yeah. You know, and then some, I don't even know who she does that show with anymore. Different people anytime. But some <laughs> Amin, idiot next to her. Amin oh, God. Yeah, I mean, will be falling out of his chair to say, oh, yeah. I, uh, Suns, I have personal experience to say that the Suns are a garbage organization yeah. because of how they treated me and yada, yada, yada. Here's um, what they'll say. I got it. They'll say, the Suns have been an organization with no good players. They finally get a good player in Kelly Oubre, and they're not willing to pay him. Robert oh Sarver my is God, so, that's, he's so cheap, he squeaks when he good. walks. Yeah. He squeaks when he walks, yep. And, they, and yeah. whoever is Greta producing that there. shot. Exactly. Whoever is producing that show will be will be flying through their keyboard, yes. through their archive, whatever that wherever the ESPN headquarters is in Bristol, <laughs> Connecticut, trying to find. Oh, God, we got to find Greta. We got to find Greta. Uh, everyone <laughs> will laugh at that while Suns fans roll their eyes at home. And they'll laugh like it's the funniest thing that they've ever said, as if this not, is not a completely played out joke entirely. They'll think that they're being hilarious. And, uh, you know, there's, and like you said, it could be a calculated thing, because I think it actually is predictable that if there's a story about the Suns and something that hasn't happened yet, that the Suns will be made out to be the bad guy in national media. This is how they, and it's a fair thing, I think, for them to do, because the Suns have done so many dumb things over the years. 
they they just e- easily turn it on the Suns and say, what are they doing? They're really stupid. And to James Jones's credit, what he's doing right now is smart. He's trying to avoid overpaying Kelly Oubre at all costs, and he's yeah. letting the market play out to pay him some sort of fair deal for the team. He's not what he's doing is not dumb, but I think there is a high chance that if this story becomes the lead, once people stop wanting to talk about once Russell Westbrook is traded, basically, because that I think will be the end of the massive stars moving. Um, if that does happen in this offseason, Kelly Ubre will be the next player. Actually, don't you have a list of free agents that are left, Sam? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yes, I do. Are you interested in who is still available? The Suns still have uh, two roster spots, and they can only sign players to minimum contracts. Let's hear it. Do you want every player that's still available? Yeah, just do the, the ones that, that we would, would recognize. That would be absurd. Okay, well, <laughs> well how about let's let's uh, whittle it down. So the Suns, are we doing the Suns in general? Are we doing free agents? Well, I guess like, my point the, was... The, the people that are left are no names, and Kelly Oubre is likely the biggest name left in, yeah, in the okay, free agency market, so Who's, who else is even available? Oh, let me scan through. All right, point cards. Oh, my boy Shaq Harrison got waived. He's a free agent. Uh, Jeremy Lin uh, yeah. is a free agent. Uh, the, the point is not great. Let's see. Shooting guards, we got Jamal Crawford. Um, <laughs> we've oh, got, yeah. you want you want Ben McLemore? I'm sure people are lining up for Nick Stauskas. 40-year-old Vince Carter. Uh, <laughs> 40 42 year old Vince Carter's there. Um you could get Luol Deng. Oh god. Uh Jesus Christ. Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris are both on the market. Carmelo Anthony is available. Oh. So you know, I mean there's definitely uh Lupa Mute is available. He's not awful. But so yeah. so there's um there are some names. Uh, I think it's fair to say Tyson Chandler. Kelly Oubre is the best player available, it sounds like. <laughs> oh, by far, he's the best fucking yeah. player available. Yeah. yeah, no no doubt about it. And so here's the thing about the qualifying offer, because you asked me how I actually felt about it, and I don't think I even answered. Uh, Kelly Oubre averaged, like, what, 19 and 5 uh, in that stretch of games on the Suns where he was a starter. If that was actually somehow sustainable and he could go into next season and keep that going for a full year, because it's not inconceivable that he just, you know, he gets better and he plays, he's going to be hitting his peak age next year. It's kind of the start of his peak. Uh, then going into next year's free agency class, he really could be a $20 million a year player. Yeah. On the other hand, how confident are we that by season's end, uh, it will actually still be, I mean, I'm not even necessarily a hundred percent confident that Kelly Oubre will start the season at small forward over Mikhail Bridges, let alone end the season. Cause it right. all depends on how those lineup combinations work. Uh, and, and that's something that, Ubre definitely has to be thinking about one advantage for him right now. The Suns don't really have a backup two guard unless they're kind of planning on playing Tyler Johnson at the two behind Devin Booker. Um, but maybe there'll be some spot minutes at the two where you can bump up bridges there because he can definitely play there. Right. Uh, and Ubre doesn't have to worry as much about a log jam at small fort. I don't know, but I think it's also definitely possible that Mikhail takes that starting spot. I mean, that's maybe the long-term plan if he's going to be the so-called defensive stopper. Uh, and and that wouldn't bode well for Kelly's ability to bet on himself taking the qualifying offer next year and hoping for a big payday next summer. Yeah, it feels like a year since we've seen actual basketball. But the th- thing is about Kelly Uri that was interesting is he he played basically no minutes at power forward last year because he can't. And I don't. Yeah, I know. And you know what? I, I I'll say that I don't think he can. But I'll also say that I just haven't seen it. So I I just don't know. I think his ability to attack off the dribble would actually be an advantage for him if he were to play some minutes at power forward, but it seems like that's not something they believe he can do. And I, I kind of would side up with the coaching staff at this, at this point, we'll see what Monty does because you know, this is a different coaching staff. We'll see if they actually give him minutes there, but I think 
you know, that would be an interesting thing for his career going forward and his future with this team going forward is if he can play spot minutes at the power forward position. And I think you're right, a calculated thing too. It's not just that, uh, you know, if he does show out and play like that, he could be a $20 million a year player and the Suns have Tyler Johnson dropping off the books next year. The Suns will have $20 million if they want to give it to Kelly Oubre. So if he'd like to stay, even if they didn't offer him the money he wanted, that money would be available on the Suns. And, and if he plays well enough, they might put he might put the pressure on them to actually give him that cap space. And that would be, you know, sounds like a harsh situation for us as Suns fans, but that would be a good situation. That would mean that he played well enough to be paid that much. And that would probably be worth paying him to stay on the team going forward. But that Mikhail Bridges thing is is going to be something that we're going to have to face down the line at some point if neither one of them can play uh, power forward and, and Devin Booker is not really a point guard. So we can't really put Mikhail Bridges at that shooting guard. I think there's a chance that Devin Booker still develops more as a point guard going forward and you can play him more at that position. But it's definitely not something that we want to see a lot of. Uh, so yeah, it's a really interesting situation. And uh, you know, we thought it was going to end after we recorded our last episode. At this point, I'm not even ready to say that it's going to end anytime soon. I, did, I don't really know. The, the weirdest part about it, there's been no news. We haven't heard really anything. Yeah, there's... Well, actually, that's not true, Mike. Chris Johnson, NBA, on Twitter. <laughs> who has... 47 followers and is a what? senior NBA insider and writer. Kelly Oubre Jr. This morning. Yeah, well, now he is 47. That's the power of you, my friend. Almost doubled. You, you quote tweeted him. You're big time now. <laughs> this is my fault. I did this. You're, you're, you're big time. You've created the new Arye. Uh, Ab- What's that kid's name? Fuck that Ari, kid. But- I think it's Ari. I don't know. All right. Well, fuck that kid. <laughs> fuck this kid, too. He said Kelly Oubre Jr. is expected to sign a three-year deal with the Suns, according to sources. <laughs> to which someone said someone asked in in the replies what sources and a random person trey hashtag ricky rubio season at haywood trey responded i can confirm so yeah that's that's about what that deserves i was thinking, i was thinking of saying that too and then he actually did uh don't don't be like these people i i hate these fake insiders on on twitter that's about yeah. all we heard they're, they're, first of all there's no way kelly signed in a three-year deal it's gonna be four years for sure right yeah, it should be it should be I mean, unless unless the Suns would... I, I just can't picture a situation where the Suns would offer him more per year for a short deal. I think that they would want him for a longer deal. At the very least, if he doesn't work out here, Mikhail Bridges demands that starting spot, you know, because of his play on the court, it's better to have a longer contract to trade him. Like, that's a better asset to have. Longer contracts will get more back. So I can't imagine any situation where that would happen. So, sorry, Chris. I'm doubting you <laughs> on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> the last thing we should talk about, there was actually basketball. We we started this podcast talking oh about how boring Summer League was, but we should say there was an earthquake <laughs> that canceled the Suns game. <laughs> uh, and I went. So I went on Sunday. And, you know, um, it was pretty bad, I will say. It just wasn't like previous years. And, and I, this is only my third year going. So I in my last two years, you know, my first year I had Lonzo Ball. This last year I had DeAndre Ayton. So it was a pretty awesome uh, two years to go, you know, because the Lonzo Ball frenzy was completely insane. And uh, it was sold out every day that I went last year. And then DeAndre Ayton, the number one pick. And there was a ton of Suns fans there. So there was a lot of energy coming off of those Suns fans for DeAndre Ayton. I got to see him play against Marvin Bagley, which was fun. And Bamba. And, you know, this, 
in, in Bamba. And then this year, it just, it's such a dud as we talked about these players not playing. You know, it was still fun to be around Suns fans. I got to sit by a few and talk to them. If any of them are listeners here, I guess I didn't tell them who I was. Maybe they'll figure it out from my voice. Um, hit me up on Twitter. It was fun to sit next to you guys. Um, I saw KOC walking around and said hi to Kevin O'Connor. So shout out to Kevin O'Connor. Um, that was kind of fun to see him. But otherwise, it was just, you know, it was just summer league and, and we're not seeing Ty Jerome play. We're not seeing Cam Johnson play. So we saw a little bit of LeBron's grandson, uh, Jalen LeCue. Is that really what you're going <laughs> with? I, I'm going with it, man. I'm really, I'm doubling down, I think, on it because if people hate it, I'm going to say it more. Uh, and I think I, you, we're going to have to make some puns out of le something like the way they do with LeBron. I mean, we just have to. Um, I also just like attaching LeBron's name to Jalen LeCue every time we talk about him. Instead of Westbrook's, because you know Westbrook has his issues. He does play more like Westbrook, obviously. Are, but. are we going to pretend that Jalen Lecue doesn't have his issues? <laughs> Jalen Lecue, it's already very evident that he's like going to be good for a couple highlight real plays. Oh yeah, but, sure. It's just fun to root for him. Yeah, no, it's it's fun to root for him. I was watching for him more so than anyone else. Obviously, like he's the most yeah. interesting prospect in both of these and games. Kobo doesn't look very good. Oh, Jesus, Ellie. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. We can talk about that in a second, but but Lequeux in in both of these games wasn't actually good from a box score standpoint. I'm looking now. He shot a no. combined four. I mean, he didn't play much. No, he didn't play much. He shot a combined four for thirteen from the field. He'll get his dunks and he'll make nice reads sometimes. Um, and he also he gives effort on defense. I expected him to really come out there and get bullied, just to look like yeah. a high school kid playing amongst kind of men, even though they are all relatively well, young players. Uh, he wasn't yeah. he wasn't bullied defensively physically. Well, Brzezakis kind of did. I remember at a certain point it was like Brzezakis must be like twenty five years old. He's really bullying Jalen Lequeux, and I looked it up. He's twenty. <laughs> <laughs> He's barely older than Lequeux. He's much <sighs> bigger though. So, you know, it's it's just, this is what we have right now. We have Jalen LeCue and we have Elia Kobo, who Gambo has said is not going to be on the team once the season starts. So I just don't know why I even watch this other than to kind of enjoy RJ Barrett being bad as I was surrounded by Knicks fans. <laughs> um, how are they feeling? about you're, you're still, I know you're not in the city anymore, but you're still in New York. Have you heard from any of your Knicks fans friends about how they felt about RJ Barrett so far? Are they turning on him yet? There's still a lot, a good Knicks presence in Rochester. I was just talking to a guy. I was telling him I was a Suns fan, and and we had both watched that game. And he was, uh, he really thinks RJ is going to be the next big thing. You know, I mean, it, look, it's summer league, so you can use the excuse that it's summer league. Like the fact that RJ, let me look up his stats real quick. What did he even shoot in that game? It was ridiculous, right? He shot uh, like four for seventeen or three something really for terrible yeah, three like for that. fifteen. Like John Starks, nineteen ninety four NBA Finals esque <laughs> performance or whatever. Yeah, to use Knicks the, fans love him. Yeah, well, that's true uh, to an extent. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it's summer league, so none of that stuff matters. Uh, but yeah, I think you and I think he's the next Josh Jackson, and Knicks fans are still more in that he's James Harden camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, I'm not buying it. Neither am I. I'll have to see it before. Uh, hey, here's what like, I'll say. If he's Josh Jackson, he seems like a smarter guy off the court. So I give him a higher chance of being successful. More so than RJ. Like it's, they're just going to downplay his bad game, but they really like Iggy who lit us up. He had 30 points. Yeah. So now they're, good. yeah, they're, he did. So th- they're really going to be like, oh yeah, we got Mitch. We got Iggy. We're all set. <laughs> uh, the, the squad's all here. We got the bigs. We got Bobby Portis. We got, Whatever Morris twin they just signed, I don't even know. That's that's what Knicks fans are thinking Marcus. right now. Yeah, did they get did they get Marcus and Markeith? 
I didn't. Ha- well, so, no, Marquise is on Detroit. Which Marquise is, is on Detroit, and Mar- and Marcus is going to be on the Knicks. So we'll see. I don't know. This is all very weird, and, and it's kind of screwing over the Spurs, which I would normally I would kind of enjoy, but at this point I kind of feel bad for them. It's a weird situation where I think Rich Paul is just kind of flexing a little bit, trying to get more money for Marcus at the last second. $15 million one year is the rumor for the Knicks, so that's a lot of money to get uh, Marcus Morris on that team, and I guess they kind of have a hole, but isn't that the same position that Kevin Knox plays? I guess they don't want to start Kevin Knox. I don't, I don't understand. Do they want to make the playoffs? Taj Gibson, Bobby Portis... Marcus Morris, Julius Randall, Julius Randall. What? Yeah. What? Marcus is a three, so you know, like he plays yeah, better. Yeah, like he does play better at the three. So that part makes sense, but that's kind of what I'm Knox more like does. confused. So is Randall playing at the five, and then you've got I don't know what they're going to Taj do. and Portis, it's, Taj and Portis at the four, Randall and and Mitch at the five. Yeah, Mitch has to start at the five. So you're not going to start the guy you're paying twenty million dollars to. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do. It's a puzzle. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. Uh, I, you know, we'll we'll probably hear some quotes about what their plan is, and and they probably don't know who they're going to start. But it would be a disaster to me if they didn't start Mitchell because he's just so he. I saw him in person, seeing how massive he is and how long his arms are in person. I just, it's crazy how fast he moves uh, with that length and that size. I think it's clear why he's such a good defensive player, and I think the, his threat on the roll. It's going to be so massive. You got to you got to start that guy. Well, yet none of these other guys matter. I mean, it's just you know, New York had a lot of money, so they had to spend it to pretend like they're trying, and they're not going to be that good. Marcus, but but it's clear there's only a couple guys who matter. (laughs) All right, we're way off topic now, so (laughs) we should probably end. Well, this is our seventieth minute recording. I don't know if the podcast will be this long after the edits, but we said it was going to be like forty minutes when we started. Okay, but summer league. This is related to summer league, (laughs) so we quickly. Ray Spalding's on our summer league roster. The Suns have yeah. two roster spots left. Um, yay or nay uh-huh. on bring Ray Spalding back to be our backup, uh, to our third string center. I guess he could play power forward too, technically. I'm all for it. And I can read you a list of the names of all of the other centers available in the free agent market. Like I said, guys, all the Suns have at this point is a veteran minimum contract. So they're only bringing in, you know, the, the bottom of the yeah. barrel. Uh, so if it's yeah. between any of these names or Ray Spalding, I think Spalding is is interesting. Spalding or Alan Williams is kind of the only place my head went when thinking about that last big spot. And I think we do need a, uh, someone there because I think uh, DeAndre Ayton could easily roll an ankle. He's bouncy. He's up in the air a lot, so he can easily roll an ankle. And then Baines is not young. You know, he hasn't played a lot of years in the NBA, but he has a lot of years playing professionally, so he could easily get injured as well. So. You could play Kaminsky at that backup center role. I think that's a definitely a possibility, but I think you still you still need another big there. And I think actually, you know, I really like watching Spalding. I think that he gives a lot of effort. I like that he pulls his shorts up real high and he's always bouncing around <laughs> the court. <laughs> so there's something that just, there's something about him that I just like. He's long. He's really long and really skinny. He's really long. He's he's real dollar store Mitch Robinson. Since you we were yeah. just talking about yeah. Mitch. Okay, that's that's exactly right. Here's the names. Tell me if anyone stands out as like, this is a guy that's maybe worth having over just giving Spalding a chance. Like, I don't know if it's for the veteran presence or if it's actually for their on-court production. You got Andrew Bogut, Tyson Chandler, Pau Gasol, Marcin Gortat. You'll see there's actually a decent amount of former sons on this this list. Udonis Haslam, Amir Johnson, Costa Kufis, Salah Mejri, Greg Monroe, Eric Moreland, Timofey Mozgov, Nene. Uh, Joe Kim Noah, Zaza, 
Justin Patton, Jason Smith, Tyler Zeller. Those are all of the mm. centers left on the market outside of race bowling. Yeah, I guess a case could be made for Amir. That's the only one that kind of stood out when you said it. But I think you, know, you could I, I think you could maybe grab a guy like Salam Esri just to like like he's basically Robert Horry, but but like you know, yeah, he's very unlikable. Very like yeah, exactly. <laughs> you send him out there to hip check someone and yeah. rile up the other team. Maybe that's yeah. worth having. Uh, I don't really know. I think yeah, he, I think he's a guy that you know maybe is good for your culture, uh, but is absolutely a despicable player. <laughs> so like I, I hate <laughs> him so much, and maybe that's reason enough to give him one of the roster spots. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but outside of that, I, I think Spalding maybe has the potential because here's the other thing: like Aaron Baines, regardless of how you guys feel about Aaron Baines, I still think there's a very solid chance that Aaron Baines is a buyout candidate, or he's traded for a yeah. second round pick. At the deadline, whether we like it or not, maybe he'll really buy into Phoenix. You know, he does have a family that he has to move to Phoenix. So uh, with older players, that's something that's always taken into consideration. But on the other hand, maybe if he really wants to play for a playoff team because he's been on good teams most of his career uh, and the Suns are, are on track to be a 25 or 31 team halfway through the season, they'll need a third string center because that third string guy is going to be bumped up to second string once Aaron Baines is bought out and goes to a contender. It's just a possibility. Right. Yeah, um, we'll see what happens. I think that that that's going to be the next news that we hear. Hopefully, it's Kelly Oubre, but I'm not going to put my money on it. Um, but as soon as I'm doubting it, I'm sure it'll come out. So, I think that's all we got. I wanted to talk about Ricky Rubio a little bit more. We're going to have to talk about him again on our next episode. I will never start a recording with you again, Sam. Saying what are we going to talk about this week? Because we just turned whatever happened this last week into like 75 minutes here. <laughs> so, thanks everyone for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us on your apps. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're uploading every episode on youtube shout out to youtube people who are still listening to the end of this episode and uh, we'll be back next week with some more i have a pounding headache my mouth tastes like vomit and i don't remember a thing sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.